Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. And that's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctors. Planned Parenthood needs your support now. Now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAIP-owned brands right now like Cardin, Kaja, Emilia George, and hey, Meve, plus you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. Hi, 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 hi. Okay, so this is a bonus episode of Why Won't You Date Me? It's not a regular one. Today I'm talking to Cerise Castle, a reporter writing an investigation on the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Uh, This is something that has been critically underreported. I think it's important that we bring it to light. Me personally, I feel like it's important to use your, your platform for shit that matters and important things. So before we jump in, just a little note on the content. We're gonna be talking about some heavy stuff. In this episode, so like police brutality, sexual assault, death. So if you're looking for like a real tee this this ain't it. This is not the episode. So, you know, please exercise some self-care. Check in with yourself before proceeding. So listener discretion is advised. Don't you date me a podcast where me Nicole Byer tries to figure out how I'm still single. Even though you could take me on a hike and push me right off the cliff, I will find my way back home and say, excuse me, I still love you. My guest today is an LA-based journalist specializing in civil rights, crime, and human interest stories. She has, a, she has bylines in the LA Times, the Daily Beast, and Los Angeles Magazine, and she hosted segments for the Emmy Award-winning news program Vice News Tonight. It's Cerise Castle! Hey, girl. Wait, did I say it right? You did. I did? Okay, yeah. thank God. <laughs> I do this really interesting thing where um, I think I might be slightly dyslexic because I will put letters that don't exist in words, and then I just, like, can't. <laughs> say them right. So I'm glad. I'm glad I did this. Ooh, baby, we're moving along. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. 
Thank you. Okay, so I wanted to talk to you about, you have a piece coming out, which is with uh, Ground Game LA, and it is... With Knock LA. With Knock LA, okay. And it is about the gang activity and corruption within the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. Don't you like how we're just like getting right to the meat of it? Uh, But I don't think a lot of people know how corrupt the police department, sheriff's department is, not just in L.A., but like everywhere. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, It's something that I've spent the last six months of my life learning everything about um, some kind of a armchair expert. Essentially, there have been gangs in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department since the mid 1970s. The gangs have grown and spread. They're now present at, I want to say, predominantly the south and east side locations of the sheriff's department. So that's South Los Angeles, East Los Angeles, where there are lots of black and brown people, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. And they've basically been able to do whatever they want without any punishment, really. They've killed... uh, 19 men of color, four of them were um, experiencing a mental health crisis at the time that they were killed by sheriff's deputies. The deputies have beaten um, hundreds of people based on my research. Um, and, you know, they've, they're up to a lot of really bad stuff. And they've been able to do this with the knowledge of the County Board of Supervisors, uh, the knowledge of the California State Senate and the knowledge of the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. Wait a minute. So like a civil rights commission in my brain is like, okay, civil rights. That means we want everyone to have equal rights and be treated equally. And like, it's nice and peaceful. So like, the fuck? (laughs) That's like the only only question I have, like, the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I don't really have an answer for you as to why this has been able to happen for so long and at the uh, the number of frequency at the frequency that it's been occurring um but in any case yeah i I don't really have an explanation for um why this has been able to happen as long as it's been able to as frequently as it's been able to as i said before um government and she's got the dog it's okay we're all at home there's dogs there's children there's lots of things in the background i get it i'm sorry don't be sorry. I recently learned that I think one of my dogs is a Spanish-speaking dog because <laughs> when you speak to him in Spanish, he listens more. Really? Yeah, he was found on the street. So I genuinely think that English is not his first language. It's his second language. And in seven years, he has learned some of the stuff in uh, English. But like, he'll just come to you faster if you go, Ben aquí, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a fun thing I've learned. Where where did you find him? Uh, it's a long roundabout story, but a friend of a friend of a friend, like very far removed from me and my roommate, John, uh, just posted on Facebook seven years ago, I guess, at this point. Does anyone want to take this dog we found on the street? Uh, someone was like throwing shit at him and we picked him up on the side of the highway and John was like, we'll take him. And I said, we will. And then this little ragamuffin of a dog, he had this like 
awful open sore down his neck and he did not want to come in. He like spread his little legs out to like stop from being pulled inside. But then once inside, you know, we petted him and we were like, hello, you're ours now. And then we never gave him back to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So actually I may have stolen a dog. (laughs) I love that. But we did take him to the vet. He's not chipped. So So he's yours. I don't think he's stolen, stolen. Yeah. And he hasn't tried to leave. He's not like, if you open the door, he won't run out. My other dog will. He'll be like, excuse me, I have business out there. Uh, People want to pet me. It's like, nobody wants to pet you, Clyde. Get back inside. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I forgot what your question was. It was basically like, why? Just, yeah, like how a civil, uh, like... Just how this, how has this been going on for so long and how so many people know about this? Do you know what I mean? It's like so many people know about it. So I don't understand why nothing's being done about it. But I guess that's why you wrote the piece. Yeah. I mean, it was a big motivating factor. I don't really have an answer as far as, um, you know, why nothing has been done. Um, one thing that really shocked me in researching this piece was just finding out how many people have known about it. For, you know, going on 30 years, like Mark Ridley Thomas, for example, um, he was present at a raid that the Los Angeles Police Department actually conducted in the late 80s um, in a bunch of houses. And it was a terrible raid. People's houses were completely destroyed. The Red Cross was actually called in to help people rebuild their lives after the police had destroyed everything. And he heard this testimony and basically defended the police department. And, you know, he went on to sit on the county board of supervisors and heard about gang violence that was being perpetrated by the sheriff's department. And, you know, this was in the 90s. So this stuff has been going on, like, quite literally for, you know, my whole life. And people know, but... I don't I don't really know why my research would would suggest that the culture of gangs in the sheriff's department is so deeply entrenched and stretches all the way up to the highest ranks um, and that, you know, the gangs have such a grip on the department that really you can't really work in the department if you're not subscribing to the gangs outlook on how law enforcement should be conducted. So, you know, filing false police reports, being Mm -hmm. violent, arresting people and coming up with charges later, that sort of thing. Yeah, I watched a documentary. It was very like left skewed, but there I like did a little (laughs) the slightest bit of research after I watched it. It's on Netflix. I cannot remember the name of it, but it was about like how crack exploded in the 80s. Yeah. And there was like cops on record saying, yeah, we would do raids in these neighborhoods. We would take their crack. We would take their money and then we would sell their crack. And it was just like, whoa, this is nuts. Like to the point where these people are getting arrested for it and on trial for it and speaking on camera for it means that that it's not like a isolated incident it doesn't mean that it's like a small thing. It means it got so big, it just got out of control. And I think people don't realize that like when you finally hear about something real insidious in like the government or law enforcement, it's because it got so big and out of control and it's been going on for years and years and years. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, these people are so comfortable with the way that they do their jobs and the way they conduct themselves that 
you know, some of them have even even written books about it. Like just right here, I have this book just sitting on my table. This was written by a sergeant who oversaw a beating death of a man in custody. His man, his name was John Horton. John Horton was 22 years old and he had been incarcerated for failing to show up at a mandatory um, drug counseling appointment ordered by the court, ended up in Men's Central Jail. He spent his 22nd birthday there. 10 days later, his beaten body was found inside of a cell. And Cliff Yates, the author of this book, you know, he was the sergeant on duty. And he admits in this book and in court testimony that he let the people that he was supervising who were supposed to be looking out for this man. They, he says very openly that he let them leave the facility, go get food, go to the gym while they're supposed to be working. He openly admits that. He doesn't admit to the fact that John died by beating. The coroner um, you know, confirmed that John had significant damage to his body, including a busted liver, um, a busted pancreas, a busted spleen, um, scars on his forehead. The sheriff's department refuses to say that John was beaten to death, although you can see the evidence. Um, the name of the book that this is all in, it's called Deputy. It's written by a man named um, Cliff Yates. It's available on Amazon. So I, I say all that to say that, you know, these people are very comfortable with the way they do things. And, you know, they're, it's been going on, like I said, since the 70s. So I'm pretty confident and I think they're pretty confident that nothing is going to change. It's also interesting when you get pulled over. <laughs> I don't know if you go through this. I don't know if I just go through it because I'm a black woman, but I get very, very, very like nervous because I'm like, what the fuck is going to happen? It's my word against this person. This person has a gun. This person has a fucking uh, billy club or whatever the fuck they're called. And then they don't come over in a friendly manner and they're already aggressive you know it's like do you, like i just i don't know like i don't understand why police officers don't have training in how to speak to people like you know yeah i mean they're not trained to speak to people really i mean from what i've seen of law enforcement and what i understand it's a very us versus them culture right they mm -hmm. look at the people that they're supposed to protect as criminals the sheriff's department for example when you're when you join the sheriff's department as a new deputy you start out in the jails you're required to work in the jails and the jails are a really horrible place i mean los angeles men's central jail has been deemed as you know uninhabitable basically mm -hmm. the board of supervisors has made plans to close it because that building is just so decrepit and for years there have been accounts of abuse at the hands of deputies the there was a whole commission set up by the board of supervisors to look into the rampant beatings um, that were going on at the hands of law enforcement inside the jails so when, when you're having people start the very beginning of their career in an environment like that mm -hmm. That gets ingrained into your head and you're going to go out on the streets and that's how you're going to approach this community that you're supposed to be a part of. Many of the deputies that started out in Men's Central Jail, I found at least three 
that went on to kill people in the communities that they were working. That's fucked up. It's very fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think officers are trained to de-escalate situations and then finding out that they have to start in jails almost means that, like, they're put in a place where it's like, these people are criminals. They've already been incarcerated. They're violent. So then it's like, well, I have to go to work on the defense as opposed to, like, how can I enrich these people's lives and, like, just keep... I don't know. It's also, like... I don't understand why we as a society has just or not even a society just like in America has decided that like when you're incarcerated, you don't you're not allowed the basic just like liberties of life. Do you know what I mean? It's like we put you in these shitty fucking places. We make you in like kind of slaves, indentured servants where you have to work for pennies and then you're overcrowded. It's not clean. The food is shitty. And then we release you at some point to be like, go back in the world and do good. And it's like, well, no, you're really just kind of setting people up for failure. 100%. You know, a couple of cases that I've looked at really encapsulate that. One man um, was arrested for being drunk in public. This happened in 2006. You know, I mean, who who amongst us hasn't gone out to West Hollywood and gotten lit on a Saturday night, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. He was arrested and he was taken to men's central jail and he was raped by a deputy. And I mean, there's really I don't really have any words for that. Like I just the fact that the deputy was able to a do that to him B when the man told someone he reached out to another deputy and asked for help. He said what happened to him. That deputy immediately covered up and said, you know, nothing happened to you. You're going to be fine. And, you know, that man was eventually released. There were no charges against him. And that that was his experience. I, like you said, I think that this country has an attitude that when people go to jail, like they're criminals, they need to be punished. But, you know, that isn't the case for a lot of people. A lot of people that end up in the Los Angeles County Jail are you know, nonviolent offenders. And I, I really don't like making that distinction because I, just because someone has done something that might be, you know, violent, I don't think that means that they deserve to be beaten or raped or even, God forbid, killed at the hands of people that are supposed to be there to protect them and keep them safe. Yeah, I mean, yes, it does. Because I think a lot of people forget that, like, People who maybe are like live below the poverty line, you know, like that doesn't it doesn't help you be an upstanding member of society. Not that I'm saying that everybody below the poverty line is a criminal. I'm just saying if you look at things, it's a cycle. It's a circle where it's just like, well, how do I make money? Oh, okay. well, I don't get taxed if I sell drugs or whatever. And then it's like that's not super violent if you're just like, you know, dealing weed or whatever. And then it's just so wild to me that like, you know, white women, not to make it about race, but some a lot of the times it is about race. And it's like white women can start like weed yoga when weed was finally, you know, decriminalized in um in California. But then it's just like the black and brown people who were selling it, who were the original entrepreneurs of this, they're still in jail for it. And it's like, wait, the fuck up? Like, why? Why is that allowed? Like, why? And then also this documentary I watched uh, was like jail time is longer for crack than it is cocaine. And crack is cocaine. Right. It's just white people like to do cocaine. 
because it's, you know, more expensive or whatever. And black people were entrepreneurial and found a way to make cocaine stretch. Yes. And get even higher on a lot less. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we would have to criminalize that. We'll be right back after these messages. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service that's all about helping you have fun and get creative with your style. Shift gears in your wardrobe without a complete and expensive overhaul. Dressy stuff, trendy going out clothes, casual tops and premium jeans, sweaters, outerwear, vacation fits, you name it. For just $98 a month, you get a choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands with inclusive sizing, fast, free shipping and returns, and professional cleaning in Newly's state-of-the-art laundering facility, plus the option to buy what you love. I like Newly a lot because sometimes I don't want to like own a sparkly thing because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to wear it more than once. Also, I have a ton of sparkly things. And Newly is very good at like having a sparkly thing that I'll wear once and then I can send it right back. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DATEME20. Just go to newly.com, N U U L Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code DATEME20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com. Newly with two U's with code DATEME20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Spring is the best time to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, tap into your power, and build towards whatever you're looking for. Okay, Peloton can accommodate your schedule with a variety of class lengths to choose from. Even if you only have five minutes, there's a class to get your body moving, and I have to stress how important that is. Five minutes is better than no minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and mood. Move at your own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take the guesswork out of working out. So you can just jump right in, keeping your fitness journey fresh every day because that's what it is, a journey. And listen, Peloton has everything you need to get to where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, uh, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton is something for you. Ooh, the Peloton classes I like to do are strength training. I also like the yoga because um, I'm always trying to get more flexible um, because I love doing splits because I'm slutty. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at (laughs) OnePeloton.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's always something that I really need to talk about. And thank God I have a podcast. But then there's stuff that I don't want to reveal publicly. So I talk to a therapist. And listen, we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get stuff off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. And I got to say, that's very important because the first person you meet might not be good for you. So even though it's work, you got to work to find someone who like is helpful and is good for you. So don't stick with someone just because you feel like you have to. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash date me today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash date me. Okay. Hey, did you know one in five Americans have learn a new language on their bucket list? If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste time on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned out in the real world world. Babbel made it super easy for me to brush up on my Spanish before my vacation to Mexico. See how I said that? It's, it's better and it sounds like I speak Spanish. It just makes traveling better so you can like order food, ask for directions and flirt with the locals. Me encanta muchacho! <laughs> Without having to consult language apps while on vacation. Here's a special limited time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash date me. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash date me. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash date me. Rules and restrictions may apply. So are you for abolishing and defunding the police? Obviously, yes. Personally speaking, yeah, I mean... After look after looking into this, I I really think that the sheriff's department, at the very minimum, needs to go have a very deep internal investigation. Um, I think that ev- all of these gang ties need to be public. I think that the public needs to have access to information about what sheriff's deputies have been involved in shootings, have been involved in beatings have had a court case against them where it's been alleged that they have violated someone's civil rights. I I don't think that those officers should be on the street. No, I think that there needs to be some kind of practice in place where there are reviews happening, where there are psychological exams happening. Yeah, at the very minimum. Yeah. And I think when people hear abolish or defund the police, they're like, but what will we do without police officers? And I'm like, I mean, what do we do with police officers? They don't solve any crimes. That's why we have true crime podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're absolutely right. Like I watched another documentary (laughs) where it was um, about sex workers being murdered And they were being picked up at truck stops and truckers were taking them over state lines because they knew that police departments will not follow up past their jurisdiction or whatever. And I was like, wait a minute, what? 
the fuck? So they've just truly been like, no, we're not going to do that. And it's like, but aren't you supposed to be helping people? And then I just think it's so weird the amount of, um, I don't even know what to call it, but it's like gaslighting that we need police officers where like as a little kid you're like if you're in trouble go get the police they'll help you get a cat out of a tree with your granny neighbor and you're like oh yes the police are good and then you're like wait no i've literally never seen a police officer in a tree getting a cat like (laughs) what an insane notion yeah it's really wild like i'm thinking back to my last interaction with a police officer i was walking my dog in griffith park and two <laughs> two park rangers drove by me and just jumped out of their car before it even came to a complete stop and started yelling at me. Yeah, get that dog, get that dog on a leash, get that dog on a leash. And now I have a $300 ticket. It's it's pretty wild. Damn. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know why they do that. Why they why they act like that. I don't know. I feel like a lot of time also there's something to be said about like patrolling looking for something looking for somebody to get where it's like, I don't, I don't know. I I just don't find it necessary. I was driving the other day and I watched a Range Rover just like fly through a red light. And there was a cop on a motorcycle behind him and he didn't do anything. And I was like, then why are you here? What are you doing? Like, if not doing that, like, what the fuck are you doing? I've been rather lucky. I've had pretty decent interactions with police officers, but I won't say that they made me feel comfortable or like they've made me feel like at ease when it's just like speeding. I shouldn't be shaking. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're not very good at making you feel comfortable. And I think, you know, a lot of that goes back to the training that they're taught to look at people as as criminals. And, you know, it's really... It's really funny to me that, you know, the police, um, the sheriff's department specifically are are so notorious for, you know, like going after after gang members. Right. Like that's one thing Mm -hmm. that the the sheriff's department does a lot is he was a gang member, you know, gang member had a gun, the gang member, the gang member. And people, you know, when an unarmed man is killed, like, ah, you know, he was a gang member. He had ties to a gang it's so funny to me that like that's always their defense when the the gang culture is so rampant within their own ranks, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's very ironic to me. I fully agree. I tweeted something last summer about how I was like, there aren't any good cops because if there were, more of them would speak up about the injustices that are happening to people at the hands of the police. And the only thing people could say back to me when they were like, that's wrong, da-da-da-da, I used to like you, this is awful, was like, well, my dad's a cop, is he a bad person? And I'm like, if he has heard of something terrible that has happened and turned a blind eye, I don't think he's fully a terrible person, but he's not good and he's not a good cop. Uh, So I, I fully, I don't believe that there are good cops. I don't, because so much weird, bad shit happens that like they don't speak up about it. And then the ones that they do they kind of get bullied out of it and end up having to quit or they get fired. Exactly. Uh, and then what is it? It's like the thin blue line or whatever, where it's like, we don't cross it. Everything that happens. The code of, yeah. That blue, the blue coat of silence. Yes. Which is insane. <laughs> it's fully insane. And then you have shows like, I mean, I do love law and order SVU. I can't watch it much anymore because it's, 
it's kind of traumatic that like every week they figured out a new way to like kill a woman. Um, But I'm like, this is propaganda. Like they don't, there are so many cases, like you said, like there's true crime podcasts because they don't fucking solve cases. Truly like looking at this, it's, it's really disheartening to see, like you said, how many people can be involved in one like instance of crime. Like one case I'm looking at, for example, Gilberto Gutierrez. This is a, 27-year-old man who was arrested for um, suspected possession of drugs. And he, during the course of his arrest, developed chest pain and was taken to the hospital. And while he was handcuffed to the bed, he was shot and killed by police officers. His death, the police officers were cleared in his death. The sheriff's department, of course, were the ones to investigate him. And clear these officers of the charges. And his family sued the department. And despite the fact that the officers who killed him testified under oath that they received gang tattoos after his killing, the jury did not find in their favor. And the family left with nothing. Um, so there, there are tons of stories like that. You know, and as far as like, how systemic this is, like I said, it goes all the way up. Our current sheriff, Alex Villanueva, you know, he actually sued the county um, and made some allegations himself about deputy gangs. And, you know, now he's the sheriff. So as far as people knowing, like everybody knows about it. It's it's kind mm-hmm. of like an open secret um, as far as like how powerful the gangs really are in our sheriff's department and how things really run. It goes all the way up. <laughs> I also think it's like interesting that people love to forget that policing stems from slavery. It's like riding around on horses looking for people's property. The people's property were other fucking people. And it just trickled down. It's very convenient that people forget about that. And I do think it's why there's so much white supremacy in not to, again, make it about race, but I do think it has a little bit to do with it. Why there's so much white supremacy in the police. And then sometimes they'll do things like publicly, like on camera, like like little like hand gestures to each other to let each other know, like, we're here. And it's so wild to me that that's not allowed, but like truly goes Un, like unchecked it's just out there yeah i mean and all of that stuff could be enforced if if our government wanted it to be um you know there's a pretty there's a court case that cited a lot in these conversations where it was established that government employees have limited first amendment protection so you know those hand signs um tattoos that are affiliated with gangs those could all be banned um, very easily, but it's it's just not something that's been done. Um, and like you said, they're very open about it. I mean, just just a few days ago on Sunday, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department killed a young man that was having a mental health crisis in his car. Um, the saddest part about this story that I've learned so far is that there was a psychiatric care team en route to him, but the Sheriff's Department got there first and shot him about 17 times. And one of the deputies that was on the scene is actually on video wearing a hat with a gang logo on it, with a deputy gang logo on it. So, you know, this stuff is very out there. Um, They're very blatant with it. Another point I want to make is that a lot of these deputy gangs, the way they get in is 
by killing someone, being involved in a use of force incident, that type of thing, by you sort of drew back to where policing comes from. But, you know, treating treating people as, you know, as objects, as beating them. And that's like a notch in their belt. That's what makes them, you know, that hard, badass cop. That's what make that elevates them in their social circles is by treating us like that. I mean, that's <laughs> it's really fucking heavy. Like shooting somebody 17 times is on it. Like, I mean, insane. It's like there's no other fucking word for it other than truly fucking insane. I don't understand why police don't. Why, like, why is it like shoot to kill? I mean, you probably don't know this answer, but it's like, why? How come it's not shoot to disarm or not even shoot? Why not just de-escalate the situation and detain? Yeah. Um, I, I can't really tell you why they do the things they do. You'd, you'd have to mm-hmm. ask them, right? But I think a good yeah. way to get a sense of a, a, an idea is to look at their actions and to look at what they say. Um, in a lot of these depositions, these police officers will say the classic line, right? I was in fear for my life or I was in fear for my partner's life. And that's just sort of accepted as, okay, like, well, mm-hmm. he had no choice. That's the way it happened. Yeah, an- another thing that they'll say in depositions is that they exhausted all possible um, less than lethal options like a taser or pepper spray and that the person was, you know, had this inhuman strength and they couldn't they couldn't stop them. They couldn't stop them. They just kept fighting. In my experience, frankly, that's bullshit. I've never seen somebody uh, choose to take on an imp- entire police department thinking mm-hmm. that they were going to get out of that one alive. Um, and, you know, I think it, if if they're being honest with you, um, I think that police officers would agree. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of times these things happen and things can happen very quickly, right? Like, we don't mm-hmm. know what happened. Like, and if you want to give the officer, like, the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, like, perhaps in that moment they genuinely did fear for their life, uh, where it becomes inexcusable to me is all the levels that it has to go through for it to be signed off on, right? Mm-hmm. If I make a mistake and I shoot you in the face, like, I've obviously made a mistake, but if the people around me say, okay, we're going to cover this up and make sure that no harm comes to Cerise and we're going to make sure that Nicole is taken away and never heard from again and we're going to, you know, smear her character and all this kind of things, that, mm-hmm. that's where it becomes, that's where it, it shows you how insidious it is, right? Yeah. That it's the culture. Yeah, I watched a video, this was like not long ago, of a man who was shot in his garage. He was unarmed, and the police officers who shot him didn't give him medical assistance. Like, they called for an ambulance, and they just truly walked around just being like, oh, shit, oh, shit. And I was like, my God. Like, after you realize you've made a terrible mistake and you shot a man in his own garage who was just trying to I don't know I don't know what he was doing he was trying to like fix something in his car or something it's like well assist him like give him the fucking assist you did it so help him um and I don't even know what happened to those two officers but 
yeah, it is really, really wild. The mental Olympics that goes into like figuring out how to cover shit up so you can keep, you know, doing whatever you've been fucking doing. Yeah, definitely. One case that really exemplifies that to me is um, a man that was in this was in Linwood. Um, he was also experiencing a mental health crisis and he actually went up to an officer with his hands up and said, hey, I'm the one you're looking for. She didn't get out of her car. She turned in her seat and shot him. And what? He, yes. And after that happened, she, again, did not render medical attention. He died in the street. And her story is that he got into her car, climbed on top of her, tried to get the gun. And as she was struggling, she shot him. Now, there was no forensic evidence of a struggle because the officers on the scene allowed her to take her belongings out of that car with her and leave that day. So any evidence of a struggle, like maybe hair caught in the lunchbox that was supposedly on her seat or any blood that maybe he would have drawn was gone. So any evidence that, you know, could have backed up that story that she had was gone. (laughs) I mean... It just it I think the thing that really sucks the most is how many stories there are. Do you know what I mean? My mother used to say or maybe it was my dad. It was like if more than two people say something, it must be true. And it's like, oh, well, we have thousands or hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many, but so many cases of like the same shit fucking happening. So it's like it must be true. And it's like why doesn't anyone fucking do anything about it? And it's like, oh yeah, I got to, you know, cover my brother in blue or whatever. It's truly insane. Like I can't, (laughs) there's like no other words for it. But like, what is something that just like a regular old person can do? Yeah, I think that a person, one, um, definitely read, read my series. And if you're living in LA, like please read up on who exactly is patrolling your streets. Um, We're publishing a database that maps out all of the um, associates of these deputy gangs that we've been able to track down, um, where their last assignments are, how many people they've killed, any beatings that they've been involved with, any other types of violence, that sort of thing. And we're hoping that people will use that to really educate themselves about who is on the street, who has been given a license to essentially kill um, and can you know, organize and protect their communities. I, in the process of this, I've learned a lot about legislation that's in in place that um, protects police officers and gives them a lot of rights that, you know, everyday citizens don't have that allows them to frankly get away with these, with these killings. Um, Like what? uh, For example, in California, we have the Peace Officers Bill of Rights, Uh, POBRA, and that is a piece of legislation that guarantees a police officer, a union representative, a lawyer. Um, They're allowed to have conversations with those people before they speak to investigators. And they're also allowed to review any evidence um, of a crime before they speak to an investigator. So they can review evidence. So they get accused of a crime. They get to review their own evidence for the crime. With a lawyer and a union rep. (laughs) Well, that seems like uh, just a leg up on, <laughs> on uh, it's like extra studying. You're getting extra credit fucking things before you take the test. That's uh, 
That's so fucked. Like, <laughs> it's very frustrating, too, because it's like me as just, you know, a person, it's like I can read up on this shit, but it's like, well, how do we inflect change? Like, how does I guess it's, you know, voting different people. I don't how does one be how does even one become a sheriff? I don't even know. I don't know very much about anything. I am very um I guess yeah, underread about our the like legal system and whatnot. Um so yeah, I mean, how does one become a sheriff? The sheriffs are elected. It's kind of it's kind of wonky. They're elected, but because of the way things are set up, they are they generally serve until they're tired of it and they're able to sort of pick their successor in a way mm-hmm. and endorse who they think will go next. Um, so our, our current sheriff, Alex Villanueva, he was endorsed by the Democratic Party. He was elected in 2018, I believe. And, um, you know, he's he's very happy in his position. He's been known for... Uh, not following subpoenas that have been issued to him. He, um, you know, I, I broke a story um, a couple months back about a law enforcement party that was happening in Hollywood that um, he didn't like very much and sort of um, took me to task on Instagram Live for. He's, he's an interesting guy. Um, as far as how people can get involved and see changes in the department and, Who's running it? It's really, uh, I would say voting, like you like you mm-hmm. said. There are a lot of groups that have organized around this, that have been doing this work for years. Um, uh, Police Watch Los Angeles is one that comes to mind. Um, yeah, um, so I, I would really just recommend, you know, following the leads of groups that have, have been in this arena for for generations, really. You know, like, like I said at the top, like this stuff has been going on for for almost 50 years now. Um, and people have been working really hard to make some changes. I'm hoping that by doing this series and getting people talking, it, you know, activates people to get involved in the fight that's been happening. And hopefully mo- we'll move the needle a little bit. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved in this? Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting story. So over over the summer, um, there were protests across across the world, really, in response to the death of George Floyd. And at that time, I was working for a local radio station in Los Angeles, and I was on the ground covering protests. And I actually had my own experience where I was shot with a less than lethal munition by law enforcement, and I was hit. And unfortunately, I was pretty pretty badly injured and I couldn't walk for about six months. I couldn't really walk or exercise normally. Oh my God. Yeah, it really sucked. Um, but you know, it was coronavirus, so everyone else was at home too. But you know, being stuck at home and not really being able to walk around your house, um, you can either like watch Netflix or if you're a nerd like me, you start filing public records act requests. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was really, it started out me just being really, um, pissed about being shot by law enforcement. And I wanted to find out who hit me, who shot me. Um, and I started out looking into that. And shortly after I was shot, a young man named Andres Guardado was killed by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. 
And he was a young man that was working as a security guard. And from what we know, it appears that he was chased down by two deputies that were uh, chasing ink is what they called it, looking to join a gang by getting a tattoo associated with killing somebody. This is a gang called the Compton Executioners. Um, so Andres was killed and it came out pretty quickly that um, the deputies that had been involved in his death were allegedly um, involved in this gang. And I was really pissed at that point. Andres was killed just a few blocks away from where my niece stays with her grandmother. And, you know, she's she's a black child. She's a, uh, a Mexican child. She's a mixed child. Uh, we're a black child family were a family of color and it just really it really hit home i had been violated i felt like my neighborhood had been violated and you know i had gotten pretty good at filing cpra requests so i figured you know i'm gonna i'm gonna find out everything i can about these sheriff's gangs i grew up in la county i've been hearing since i was a kid that the sheriff's department were the largest gang in la county that's something that i've heard for years but i never was able to really find any comprehensive history detailing mm-hmm. like who these gangs were, what they did, how they worked, how you could identify them. So, you know, last summer I just figured, you know, why not? Why can't I just write it myself? And that's where we are today. I mean, truly really fucked up that you got shot and it being non-lethal left you unable to like do things for six fucking months. Like that's, that's intense. Yeah. That's like, so w- you were shot with a rubber bullet. Yeah, they're called less than lethal munitions, but th- they can kill people. I spoke I spoke with some manufacturers of um, the bullet that actually hit me um, as part of my, you know, nerding out on the couch. And <laughs> they're actually instructed to shoot at the ground and bounce the bullets up when they're breaking mm-hmm. the crowd. But that's not that's not what the officers were doing. Um, luckily, I was hit from a distance, so it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But again, it not being as bad, I wasn't able to walk for six months. I've heard stories about people that have lost eyes, that have died, that have holes in their skulls from being hit with these things. They're called less than lethal, but they can kill you. Ooh, buddy, that's fuck. Like, <laughs> it just, uh, yeah, it really fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, I'm really sorry that fucking happened to you. God. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it's really interesting, or not interesting, but... You know, I read up on like what to do if you get hit with a rubber bullet. What what to do if you get hit with tear gas before going to protests and whatnot. And I can't help but think, but like the people who went to the insurrection, you know, had that fun time. I don't think they looked up any of that stuff because I don't think they thought any of that was going to happen. And I don't think much of it did happen. Uh, it's just interesting that you know, it's like please stop killing us. Okay, well we're going to shoot you. <laughs> Yeah. With something that's not supposed to kill you. I yeah. It's a it's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, it is a real bummer. But you know, I, I hope that I've always I've always believed that sunshine is the best medicine for these kinds of things. And mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that, you know, getting all this information out there in the public eye where people can easily access it will will help things start to change. I mean, I think that the reason why things have gotten so bad is that these gangs have been able to do their business and really in the public eye. I mean, people don't really know about it, right? They've been Mm -hmm. able to operate openly um, 
but people don't really quite know like who they are and make and make the connections about, oh, that's the same guy that beat this guy is the same guy that beat that guy. Now he's working over there and he's doing this. He's that it's not easy to get that information, right? This Mm -hmm. all this information exists and it's public record, but it's all stored in such a way that it's it's pretty impossible to put together unless you're stuck on the couch for six months, (laughs) unable to walk and you don't have anything else to do. Um, Like I said, I spent six months um, just like reading hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. Um, It's it's been a lot of work. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a reason that it took me so long and there's a reason that it, you know, it cost over $3,000 to obtain these documents. There's a reason why I had to spend so much time, you know, you've just spend money to get public <laughs> records. Oh, that, that's another thing that people don't know. Although things are public record. Yes, you do have to pay to access them. Yes. Wow. And even though they're public records, sometimes you can't always get them. One thing that one fucked up thing that happens with a lot of these deputy gang cases is that the files will mysteriously disappear. One case that I was trying to get a hold of, even though it occurred in 2015, there was no record of it at the courthouse, which shouldn't shouldn't happen. It's a public mm-hmm. record. It needs to be at the court. I went down to the court two times and the rec- and the court clerk sat with me for an hour going through files and said, hmm, that's funny. It's not here. That's really weird that it's not here. So, you know, things like that are pretty, uh, th- stuff like that ha- happened to me a lot in the case of um, researching this series. So what happens? So if like a document just isn't there, that's it? That's It's just not there? Yeah, I mean, then then things get a little bit more interesting. Then I have to go um, another route, like talking to the attorneys, seeing if the attorneys have copies of any of the documents. That's that usually that's a good bet. But because of COVID, you know, people aren't in their offices. Mm -hmm. um, So it gets a little bit more tricky. Do you ever fear retaliation? 100 percent. Yes. Um, I've spoken to attorneys that have been threatened with death threatened with uh, being beaten. I've had one of my sources, he had several drive-bys done on his house when he was doing his own investigation into the sheriff gang. So yeah, I mean, it's something I think about all the time. Whew. Uh, I mean, then I thank you for doing the work. I mean, that's, that's like a scary thing to be like, I would like to, you know, try to create change. Change involves, you know, digging deep And then also change involves maybe, you know, these fucking gangs retaliating. Um, Yeah, I don't really have a follow up question on that because (laughs) that to me is terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's really I mean, I I didn't really go into this project like thinking that it would get that deep. And I think it's Mm -hmm. something that I'm still coming to terms with. And I won't really know how serious it gets until until it's happening right um but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day like nothing would stop me from doing this work from doing this research i think that you know no matter what happens i've this has been a noble task i think it will help a lot of people i've already heard from one attorney who is using my research in a federal case so fucking cool yeah so you know like I, i i'm just even if that's like the one thing that that happens like I'll feel really good about that. I've, I've met a lot of people who unfortunately lost family members at the hands of law enforcement. And they're, they're really happy that people are still that people people still care about their sons. 
that mm-hmm. people are still asking about, you know, their dad and looking into what what really happened. Um, that that's been really rewarding too, feeling that I can I can help them and even sometimes give them a little information that they didn't have before, like, oh, the guy who killed that oversaw the your son's beating death wrote a fucking Amazon book and is essentially bragging about it. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end. Is there anything you want to promote? Yeah. Um, we just talked about how expensive public records are. Um, I, I would love if your listeners could shoot a dollar or two over to the Knock Patreon. Um, there's there's a lot more work to do on this project, and it, it's probably going to cost another $3,000 to get those documents. So if you're able, we would love the donation. Okay. And then can you just explain what Knock is for people who might not know? Yeah. Of course. So Knock Los Angeles is a, or sorry, Knock LA is a independent journalism project um, that is an arm of Ground Game LA. Ground Game LA is a uh, group in LA that does a lot of great work. They do homeless outreach. Um, They're helping people get vaccinated right now. Um, They're a great nonprofit and Knock is their, their journalism arm. And they've been great to be a home for this series and to help me build a database to get it out into the world. And I'm very grateful for them. Cool. Cerise, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. Well, if you like this episode of Why Won't You Date Me, you can like it, you can rate it, you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, That's it. Bye-bye. Check out Cerise's ongoing investigation. There's a link in the episode notes. And we'll be back this Friday with an episode with the Loop Daddy himself, Mark Rubier. So I'll see you then. And then that episode, I promise you, we're back to the cheeky-hees. Everything's good. This has been a Team Coco production. <laughs> <laughs>